Exterior, former site of the village of Adonis on the shores of the Sea of Kadesh, night. A small boy, head bent, dressed in the uniform of a callow whale diver, walks in circles in what was once the village center. The trees and omnipresent cacao ferns are splashed with a milky spatter. He does not look up as the camera watches him. He simply turns and turns and turns over and over. The corrupted film skips and jumps. The boy seems to leap through his circuit, flashing in and out of sight. Lightning recap. In The Radiant Car Thy Sparrows Drew by Catherine M. Valenti, a documentarian dedicated to capturing the truth faces something she can't quite believe is real, and it changes everything. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I am, in fact, Christopher John Paul Merlin Garcia, here today with... Chrissy, Queen Elizabeth II Baxter. <laughs> I like the numbering. Thank you. It is so good to be here. Summer is getting to be summer. I'm having more and more time for reading short stories. And Hey, hey, Christy. Yes? What would be a good short story for me to read this summertime in this summertime time, uh, you should read The Radiant Car Thy Sparrows Drew by Catherine M. Valenti. Fantastic story. I'm really excited to get to talk about this, largely because, one, Kat is an amazing human being who I've been lucky enough to hang out with a couple times. Wonderful writer. And this is one of those stories that does something I adore. It takes structure and hangs a story on it in a way in which the structure informs not only how you approach the story, but the portions of the story you're allowed to understand. Yeah, I think that allowed to understand is definitely, that's vital here. <laughs> because I think <laughs> there are portions of this story that we are intentionally uh, not allowed to understand. And uh, that just makes it all the more mysterious, this, this, this incredible world that has been built. And one of the things about that is, is it adds a layer of needed knowledge. If you have no idea how a screenplay is formatted, for example, this in no way, shape, or form would be approachable. But if you sort of hazy, oh, that must mean something, and then read for the language, the language here 100% informs both the form, but there's a style to it that is so remarkably strange for the time. When this came out, I remember it blowing my mind that this is something that I would have expected in the late 60s, early 70s, something from those sort of science fiction authors who really wanted to be beat poets, but <laughs> didn't have the chops, <laughs> or just like today. And that strange, wavy, heat-hazy form in the middle, um, this shouldn't have existed in. And yet, it did. It did. Yeah, there's some real beauty in this world building that just knocks you right off your feet. And it's, okay, so I, I brought over one example that, I mean, I could have brought over seven examples, but this was the one I picked uh, about the, the callow whales, which is a, a vital part 
of some, some aspects of existence in this story. Some few divers claim to have heard them sing. The word they gave to a series of unpredictable vibrations that occasionally shiver through the fern antennae. Like sonar, these quaking oscillations can be fatal to any living thing caught up in them. Unlike sonar, the unfortunates are instantly vaporized into constituent atoms. Yet the divers say that from a safe distance, their echoes brush against the skin in strange and intimate patterns, like music, like lovemaking. Beautiful! Freaking beautiful! Yes! Yeah, just the language she deploys is phenomenal. It's rich. She is, you know, I've said how there are paragraph writers. She is a sentence writer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the best sentence in this entire thing, as far as I go, and it will go into my, it will go into my list of best food descriptions ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is the milk the divers are after, dash. Nearly everything produced on Venus contains tallow whale milk, the consistency of honey, the color of cream, the taste of something like sucking on a dandelion stem caked in green peppercorn. <laughs> wow. I mean, she constructs this at the sentence level. That's not quite the atomic level. It's not like, uh, for example, uh, the poetry of the concrete poets where every word is the, the basis of the entire piece. Here it is every sentence. It is an idea that is bigger than itself, compacted down into a small little portion, which honestly does make this reading that you can't just dive into and just let yourself go. You have to chew this. You really have to digest it in a very, very chewed form. Yes, it is. It is rather dense as far as prose and structure go. And a little bit that makes it a little bit less accessible and a little bit more demanding on the reader. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, we need to we should be engaging more actively with the fiction that we read. Uh, but there is that moment, like you mentioned, the, the screenplay uh, structure that kind of set up that is that is interspersed throughout these these moments from the the film that we get to see, which is a beautiful and amazing idea, and it's done very well. But at the same time, you're taking that risk of you you have to expect the reader will actually be able to understand what you're doing, and to catch on to that. I think it took me, I think it took me two or three of those to figure mm -hmm. out what the heck was going on with the, the screenplay excerpts and or script excerpts I guess if we want to call it because it's technically a, not a screenplay it's from a documentary but I'm that's neither here nor there <laughs> so sometimes I get caught up in the finer details and I just get lost but I'm not going to allow it this time but yeah like there's this this structure here and the structure itself is dense and, and chewy and you have to really work for it and that, I liked it. I liked working for it. And I love the fact that when you read this, one of the things that happens is you begin to try and separate the portions by, for lack of a better word, typeface. There's a story being told in bold. There's a story being told in italics. There's a story being told in paragraph form. And all three of them have a certain power when taken by themselves. They have a more concrete power when they're taken in the adjacencies. And this story very much exists in those adjacencies. And that's one of the things I love about where we're seeing, particularly 
genre fiction go these days is that we are seeing more people looking at how form and structure informs our reading and literally how physical was the wrong word because it's all physical and it's also all theoretical how <laughs> textuality is informed by literal formatting and that is 100 an outgrowth of a century of uh, con concrete writing of the influence of graphic design on hmm. writing interesting I didn't yes. think about that, but damn, yeah, you're right. That that graphic design influence. You know, I was actually mm -hmm. reminded of because as you said, we have, you know, the the, the bold being the the setup of the the actual scene, the italics being the, the, the description of the scene from the screenplay, and the regular being, of course, you know, the, the regular. And even those they, they interplay towards the end. I'm not gonna just just on the off chance that somebody's listening to this who hasn't read it, which I kind of, I kind of think that's weird. But if you just like hearing us talk about stuff and not really always knowing what we're talking about, that's fine too. You do you, boo. But like, <laughs> there is sort of a, a, a twist in a way in which these two formats intertwine beautifully at the end in a way that is sort of heartbreaking and it just changes the whole entire, your whole entire view of the whole uh, of the story that you just read. Well, you're like, and it's at the end, and you're like, oh boy, that 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 changes everything, but. There is that that interplay between them, and I was thinking of a book that I read many years ago. I honestly couldn't tell you exactly the title. I'm pretty sure it was by Anita Shreve. Could be wrong on that, but and the the most of the book and in, in the entirety of the text was in italics. And after I first noticed it, after the first couple of pages, I kind of got used to it and was fine with it and forgot about it until that sudden shift, which happened at a climactic moment as sort of time shifted within the narrative. And then all of a sudden it's regular text. And I realized it wasn't even until then, I felt so stupid. It wasn't even until then that I realized that that was, that was past. <laughs> like, instead of just using past tense, used italics. Can't remember if it was in past tense, present tense what it, it could have been in, in past future imperfect i have no idea <laughs> it was many years ago it was over a decade ago but i i had that memory and i think that experimentation and that that use of form and structure to denote things to the reader is, is definitely being used a lot more in genre fiction and personally i'm i'm enjoying the ride i think if we were weird story weird podcast i we think we are <laughs> <laughs> we would be covering the novel that I think is incredibly influential over 21st century textual format play, and that is House of Leaves, which 100% you cannot read without taking the form that it is in as a as both a guide and a, oh my God, they're trying to stumble me down. And there are lots of elements here that I think play with a lot of the same ideas. Mm -hmm. And any readers who haven't read that, um, it is the both scariest and trippiest book I have ever read in my life. It's also arguably my top five novels. Uh, nice. I'd like to note, I think we're at the very least short story weird podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the stories may not always be weird, but you know, we're, we're, we're not always short. So <laughs> <laughs> we're shorter yeah. than a drive time radio program. That's what counts. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I am going to make a confession. 
that is going to piss you off. I've never read House of Leaves. <laughs> He's just going to throw everything, throw everything in the room. <laughs> uh, um, that, I'm sorry. Never... It's daunting. It's, it it's daunting. scary. <laughs> it's it's daunting at the same time as being incredibly rewarding. But what's even more fascinating, I think, is as you because I it literally took me a month to read it the first time. But what it, you do is you start to see what is hanging off of these ideas. And this is definitely hanging off of one of those ideas. This idea of there is a performative aspect to the text itself. Yes, yes. That is, that is perfect, a perfect way of putting it. Performative aspect to the text. It's performative. I don't want to call it performative writing because then that feels kind of like I'm actually like slamming the author, <laughs> which I, that's not what I mean. But yeah, I guess performative text works to, to boil mm-hmm. it down. And yeah, it's, I just, I think that this one's going to stick with me because I just keep on thinking of that moment then when that, that significant interplay between the formats happened that I'm determinedly not spoiling. And <laughs> I just can't, that's sticking with me. That won't leave me. <laughs> I think there is a very interesting question here as to what, what envelope do we put this in? Is this science fiction? Is this science fantasy? Is this horror? Because I could definitely have a horror reading of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually gonna, in, in my personal ass- assignation of genre and subgenre, I'm gonna scratch out fantasy because I feel like there's not really magic magic here anything that we have that is unfamiliar it could just be because it's part of you know this this futuristic type world and these these space plates you know like venus it's part of venus and just because the participants of the story don't understand it doesn't necessarily make it magic like there are things we don't understand. How antidepressants work, apparently. Not something we understand. I've always marveled at that, that they could say in commercials, we don't know exactly how it works. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, but that doesn't make it magic. So it can still be science, even if we don't fully understand it. So I'm going to scratch out fantasy, but I like your inclusion of horror. So I'm going to say sci horror. Interesting. I like, I like that actually designation. Um, I'm going to say that this is a prototypical Clark's world story. Uh, This is a story that lives in decidedly in genre that is expanding into as many areas of genre that Clark world published as possible. And I think that that is me skating and enjoying the skate. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, Clark's World, what you doing with that banner at the bottom? I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I got, I, there's a little banner and there's little robots across the bottom, a cute robot, like silhouettes. And then it says subscribing keeps them alive. Don't guilt trip me about pixel robots. Crying out loud. I am a sensitive person and now I feel bad and I'm like, it's my fault. I can't As a guy who is... Uh is somewhat friends with Neil Clark, uh, the uh, founder and editor, and I believe editor-in-chief still of Clark's World, a wonderful human being. 
they will die if you don't sub- if you don't subscribe, Christy. <laughs> they will die. He's speaking through you now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Dark World has published me, in fact. Well, I mean, then you're part of what's helping keep them alive. So since we have this venture together, um, <laughs> I think that by like proxy, I am keeping the robots alive. So I think that is completely fair. <laughs> <laughs> so any other thoughts on this one? I really liked it. It was, I, I get, it was hard to get into, I, I will admit, um, but once I got in, holy hell, was I glad that I'd gotten in. So, uh, yeah, I really like this one. It's going to stick with me. That, that moment is haunting me. <laughs> uh, correct. Hey, hey, Christy. Yes? Since we are an academic podcast, I think we should probably take a summer break. I agree with you. Summer, everybody needs a break sometimes. It's good to refresh yourself and you can come back with a renewed perspective and also have an excuse not to do work for a little while. <laughs> That's right. So we'll have a couple of little special things over the next few weeks. And oh boy, we come... will they be special from what I've heard. <laughs> really, really embracing the short story weird podcast ethos. <laughs> <laughs> So do stick around. Uh, we are, by the way, we're on Twitter. Did you know that, Christy? Uh, I did know that because uh, sometimes you tag me in there and uh, that's that's the very little Twitter action that I do anymore <laughs> because I'm barely active at all is I'll go over and heart it or retweet it. <laughs> yeah, I think we're called short. I can't remember if we're short podcast or story short. Uh, but it's something like that. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and when we come back, we will have some fantastic stories that most people have never heard of. Some fun stuff that will be from sources strange and unusual. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have any summer vacation plans? Um, I am going to the beach. I've got my beach books. You can't, you can't pin me down, man. You can't pin me down. Today, Amazon delivered to my house a book that is literally titled Beach Read <laughs> by Emily Henry. And I'm sure it's good. The reviews were good, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I like 40% bought it just to take a picture of it on the beach. Um, <laughs> and also the private lives of the tutors. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm expansive. I am everywhere. How about you, summer plans? You know, I'm going to spend the time with my two little munchkins uh, trying to uh, talk them about the Battle of Los Angeles and uh, <laughs> figure out for myself what Vril energy is. Uh, but also reading a whole lot of William Soroyan work. And uh, that's going to be a big part of my next life. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's your typical summer, man. That's, you're, you're living the cliche. <laughs> uh, it's pronounced cliche. I forgot to mention that. (laughs) Well, in that case, this has been season one of Short Story. Weird podcast. (laughs) Quite.